welcome everybody to episode one of the Functional Firefighter Framework podcast. Uh, we finally thing, got this thing off the ground and up and running. Uh, my name is Nick. Tony. And we are both uh, professional firefighters and finally um, wanted to start our own nonprofit. Um, so in this episode, we're basically going to explain what the firefighter framework is, where it came from. Um, everything that we have decided to kind of move forward within the fire organization. Um, anything there that you, as far as, no? No. Nothing? Okay. All right. We're just so excited to get into the, the, the juice and meats of it all. So just really quick, um, the Firefighter Framework is a nonprofit organization um, in which we will consult with fire departments around the country and take the earnings from that profit and purchase technology, um, educational courses and other things to better, uh, the physical well-being of the fire service. Um, so which leads us right into our mission statement. Um, the mission statement of the functional firefighter framework is to provide an ecosystem for firefighters to thrive from recruitment through retirement. Um, so, with that being said, uh, let's quickly dive into some self-introduction stuff. Uh, you guys can get to little, know a little bit more about us, uh, where we come from, born and raised, all that good stuff, and what got us here to this point. So, Tony, yeah, um, run run us a little through your your bio, if you will. Okay. So my name's Anthony Clinker. Everybody calls me Tony or Clink. Uh, I grew up all over, but. Uh, Graduated high school down in Florida. Uh, went to school at the University of Missouri uh, on a football scholarship. Played football. Uh, graduated in 2005. Uh, started in the fire service pretty shortly thereafter. About January of 2007 is when I started uh, working for Jefferson City, Missouri. Um, they gave me my start uh, in the fire service. And uh, just finished up my master's in education of counseling psychology with an emphasis in positive coaching and athletic, athletic leadership. So. Cool. Was that a, was Jefferson city the place that you would, you said all like where you would basically walk across the street to take your. Oh yeah. So I was on a, I actually got, I was really lucky. Uh, I guess kind of just into the, I got into that master's program because I wanted to know what made good leadership. Right. Uh -huh. you, we've all had amazing leaders and it's hard to put a, like a spec or a, like a, uh, an identifier on what made them a good leader. Right. And, and I actually, in Jeff city, I had quite a few good leaders and captains and chiefs that promoted education where that wasn't necessarily in the SOPs. I had a chief that was huge on training and a captain that would let me take a brush truck across the street to the state fire marshal. And I would hammer out, classes on shift which might have been a little bend in the rules <laughs> but like yeah. what a great like what a great investment into your people right somebody yeah. who's willing to take a bunch of classes like might as well let them do it on duty especially when they can probably hear the tones from the classroom so i was pretty lucky at that point for uh, sure early in my career to just take a bunch of education because the once you think you know it all in the fire service is when you need to hang it up there is yeah. something to learn uh, at every turn. Uh, 
So, and and not to go off on a tangent because I have a feeling. Sorry, you guys. I have a feeling that this is going to happen a lot during these uh, episodes. Do you feel that we noticed that? Because as you're talking, I'm thinking for us specifically and many other firemen out there that played sports growing up and, you know, multiple sports, having different styles of coaching where we noticed that as adults, but even as kids, you're like, I, I, I don't really like that coach. I don't know why, but that coach gets it. This one doesn't. And I think that, uh, absolutely. I think like I, I went to the university of Missouri. I grew I graduated high school in plantation, Florida. I had, I don't know, maybe a half dozen offers to go play football. I chose University of Missouri because the offensive line coach that was there, who is now the head head coach of Arkansas, Sam Pittman. I went to the University of Missouri because of that man. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I think that there is something about individuals and their ability to reach people and be it's really centered around authenticity, but then mm-hmm. it's also centered around the ability to provide an environment in which people feel safe and they can grow and uh, their needs are met. Right. And, yeah. and not everybody can do that. Who's a leader. And what's what's funny. And I, and I hope we get into this later is because my initial thought is there's the coaches that stand out to me the most. Um, one of them was my defensive coordinator in high school. Um, and the other was my basketball coach, my sophomore year of high school. I didn't really like it first. They kind of jerks. Yeah. Hard held you accountable. And I didn't like it. And then once you see what it produces on the back end, you're like, oh, I, I like this guy. Because yeah. I don't like the same people that he doesn't like because they're lazy, don't want to grow, don't want to watch film, don't want to continue to learn. Well, that's an adaptation phase too, right? Like I'm sure the coaches, like I, one of the most influential people I've had in my life uh, was one of my high school coaches. And I didn't like him at first either. Because mm-hmm. he challenged the hell out of me, yeah. right? And after I saw that change, then like I would have jumped in front of a train for that man. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yep. But like, at first you're challenged and you're trying to learn, and uh, that environment's new to you, and it's it's not comfortable. You know what I mean? Yeah. We all crave comfort. It's it's kind of how I feel right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, you crave comfort, and that's 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 the problem. Is the the everything's so comfortable now? that like we don't really know hardships that's like that's first world problems right yeah, yeah so yeah. like but when you're challenged and you're uncomfortable like in a new position like nick here's seconds away from becoming a captain there's going to be things that uh aren't that you know you can do it's just going to be uncomfortable the first time you do it and then after you do it like the first fire you pumped yeah as an engineer right like that's uncomfortable yeah you know for sure and then you're like oh i got this yeah but that's that's the same way with leadership like you might reach somebody that's super hard, has high expectations and challenges you. Uh, and at first you're, it's not comfortable and it's hard and you're sore and you don't get it and you're getting yelled at, but then all of a sudden it clicks and you're like, Oh, I get what he was doing. Yeah. You know, makes sense. So, Oh yeah. I can't wait. That's going to be, that's going to be fun. And we'll, we'll touch on here in a second, uh, kind of the topics that we, that the framework is built around. Um, and, uh, let's, let's quickly go over. You didn't do your little introduction. Oh, sorry. My little introduction. Nick Rhodes, uh, currently an engineer, as Tony had mentioned. Um, been in the fire service now uh, nine years. Um, was actually born into the fire service, so I've, I've kind of seen it. Uh, my dad was a captain. 
I retired after 30 years of service along with my uncle. Uh, now me and my brother are, are in the fire service. So it's, uh, like a lot of us, uh, a legacy thing. Um, so for me, um, went to college, played football my whole life, ended up going to college, playing football, um, to university of Nevada, ended up getting my master's degree in business information systems. Wasn't really sure, um, at that time still what I, what I'd wanted to do. Um, I knew that I was wanted to go into the fire service, but how can I contribute once I got there was kind of my, my focus and goal. Um, so when I went into information systems, I initially just worked on uh, reducing response times with dispatch, working with um, Logitech um, and a few other softwares to be able to get uh, our response times down. Um, I don't know why I'm drawing a brain fart on the, the name of the company, um, but anywho. So went from there, ended up uh, coming right to town. Got lucky. I will say I was extremely lucky. I was I was hired pretty fast after I took two tests, um, and then from there, decided to um, teach a few fire academies. I mean, me and Tony actually taught a couple, uh, taught an academy together, um, and then decided to further my education and get my uh, doctorate in public policy, which I just focus uh, primarily on the infrastructure supporting firefighter health, um, whether that's revised statutes in each state, which, um, what's mandatory, what's not. And we'll go into a lot of what's covered, um, by different states and who's the most successful at it. And, um, there'll be some verbiage you'll hear us talk about as far as things being punitive, uh, mandatory, non-punitive, uh, things that are incentivized, that's that's kind of my alley and where I live is trying to figure out um, back to the accountability deal with the coaching and stuff. How how do you hold individuals accountable for their own good, yet providing them the infrastructure and the resources to succeed because um, they go hand in hand. Um, so I'll be done with my doctorate here in May, uh, May 13th. We graduate February eighth or so I I submit everything for for final approval. Um so So what what exactly is your doctorate in? It is a doctorate in public policy focused in firefighter health. How many of there how many of you are there? As far as I know, I'm the only one. <laughs> <laughs> there might be others. because uh, it, it is it is all it takes someone different and just that that the, the public policy individuals that are in the public policy realm, all of my classmates are working on homelessness, affordable housing, uh, infrastructure, water shortage, where I'm like, hey, how, how about we, a valuable resource that is completely overlooked oh, yeah. um, to where individuals don't really look at it and until you notice how much it's published in our world. So the goal was to to merge them together, um, which was ironic because when we go to, we went to the NSCA conference in San Antonio. And as we're there, we're having a great time. We're like, wow, we're not crazy. Like there's other people like us out there, <laughs> um, which will go into why the podcast is now existence because it kind of was born from that conference. But um, as we're there, 
we notice that the National Fire Chiefs Association is having their conference in the same city on the same weekend. They booted us out of the <laughs> hotel that we were supposed to have. <laughs> they, they did. They moved. They go, actually, you guys, we weren't supposed to be in this hotel. We were down there, and the Chiefs moved us to this yeah. one. Um, and that kind of just drove home that I, I had found my, my home, my niche of, wait, wait a minute, because individuals will will tell me, and I'm sure you all the time, oh, you, you have your master's, you have, oh, you're going to be a chief, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, no, 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 this is, this is, this is for us. I, yeah. We have to figure out how we speak their language, but yet still bring the information from the NSCA conference to the chief's conference. And we had joked about, we should switch buildings for a day. Yeah. Make them come learn how to manage their primary asset, and we'll go learn what they're worried about. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it was just very interesting because you have a building full of tactical athletes, yeah. military, every branch of the military. Yeah, it was a it was a, a meathead TED talk. Yep, exactly. Four days of it, so it was it was good. And and that's usually where how do you marry the two? Is you got SOPs degrees on one side and then you have essentially meatheads and people who like a practical application love what we do functionally right how do you make it come together so hopefully the now when when you for me when i hear public policy in a area that focuses in firefighter framework how do I take the person that is the physical therapist that understands body composition and the importance of mobility and put it on paper so that the chief understands it. So that's the that's the goal. Um, so that's my my little intro. Um, so what we'll be covering, uh, just so everyone knows, since we were recently just talking about the conference, there was a gentleman there that was on stage that had uh, basically challenged challenged us to to do this. If we weren't comfortable with public speaking. Um, or doing a podcast or doing radio, said so just start a podcast. And I don't know if you can tell, um, I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> this, yeah. Okay, so this is it is it's it's odd, but I, I think once we get come and we get to the point where we're just communicating and and we have these conversations with each other yeah, every day, pretty much. Yeah, it's yeah one of those things. So uh, really quickly, we'll go through what. Uh, what we're going to touch on, what the framework works on, and I'm going to work on stop saying really quickly because I notice I keep saying that um, little habits. Um, so what we'll be covering, what will be covered um, are tools for recruitment, um, such as, I know, Clint, this is your, your realm. Uh, <clears throat> we, have a, we have a guy that works for us um, who went to a conference in Dallas. Uh, it was an EMS conference and it was, they talked about how, um, we're missing the mark recruiting now because millennials and Gen Zers have so much access to technology that they, they know what they want to be early in life where the, you know, the Gen Xers and even the baby boomers, they didn't, they didn't have all this access to the world. So yeah. they didn't know. So a big piece of what he took from that conference was that you need to start planting the seed super young, right? And not just taking like a fire engine 
like two in a, two in middle school and squirting water. That's what like, I was gonna say. So when you say super young, we high school, middle school, elementary. Uh, what like do you elementary, middle school? Like yeah. once they're in high school, they've had they've been. And I'm not saying that it's impossible, but yeah. it's not what it used to be. Not like for. I remember the at my high school in Florida, the military was there all the time. Like, I you knew who the recruiters were. They were. I mean, I was a. 3,500, you know, student high school. Yeah. It's a huge graduating classes of like 700, right? 800. So you're looking at uh, all these potential candidates to feed the machine, right? Yeah. And that's what the fire service is. We need, we need souls every day. And uh, I don't know, uh, at, across the country, it seems like they're having an issue getting boots on the floor. What, what you would think that seeing it in, in, in a full, I mean, it's a full national, it might be a global issue, I, I don't know, yeah. to where you hear the guys go, I used to, I, I was outside, I, I, I had my, it was had to be handwritten or whatever, and oh, I yeah. was, you had to wait in line outside of HR, um, I, I thank God had missed that bus a little, my first test was at the Texas, which was now uh, torn down, but yeah. Um, there was rows of tables. It wasn't a national test that you can take anywhere on the computer. Um, I, I tested. Uh, I got on. I got on relatively fast with Jefferson City, Missouri, and then I tested. Uh, I don't even want to know how many places. Like, I, I remember I tested in uh, Houston once, and it was like I was like one of three written test sessions with like thousands and thousands of people. And how many did they take? Oh, I don't know. Because that's, you know I mean? that's always, because even then you're like, yeah. they, they did 3,000 people and they had 20 spots. I showed up for, like, obviously, like, when I was testing a lot, it was the first recession. So you're looking at fire departments that are already a giant red stain on the city budget, not yeah. wanting to hire, and they were willing to pay overtime over hiring for spots. But I tested in Inglewood, Colorado, that's now, I think Denver gobbled them up. Mm-hmm. And there was, I think, like four or five hundred people there for two positions, wow. which those odds are, aren't very good. <laughs> I'm not, not that I'm no good at math, but uh... yeah. but uh, especially with recruitment, um, and I feel like recruitment can go hand in hand with community outreach because um, not only can we get out in the community and kind of spread the message, but we can also instill uh, some pretty cool. Um, I, I want to say like motivation. So one of the things I think that's pretty neat is the army went in in like 2009 and overhauled how they did uh, basic training because they're having a huge attrition rate. And they're like, hey, like, again, we need souls to fill this machine. So uh, they sent the positive psychology department from Penn University down and trained all the DIs in uh, like master resiliency. So one of the pillars of that is character strength development. Um, there's a, a huge piece of internal motivation is operating within your personal strengths and what makes you happy. So if you learn how to optimize your own, your own character strengths, you have internal drive all day long. That's why things that you enjoy to do, you don't mind doing them, right? Wow. Because you're good at it and you, and it's one of the things that you're strong with, right? And, I'm not saying that you shouldn't know what your weaknesses are, but you shouldn't operate in a world of your weaknesses because it's something that you're not good at and you don't enjoy. So you're not going to optimize your own well-being that way. 
So what we could do as a fire service for recruitment is learn how to utilize character strengths as one pillar of resiliency and go into these communities, especially if we want to do outreach into like disenfranchised and underrepresented communities and instill like hope and optimism and character strength. And then also say, Hey, young man or young woman, you've got a character strength theme that would align very well with firefighting, you know, like that would be a huge, and then we're doing an, we're doing a service as a part of outreach and that, and we're like, Hey, how about in 12 years you put a job application in with us and become one of us because you exhibit a theme that is in line with us. And, and my hope once we, once we get to that episode, which I think it's uh, four or five, um, if I remember correctly, is how do you, we, we need, in my brain, there's a sense of urgency because, because in order to fill the seats, the seat can't be empty regardless. So once you drop the standard, does it drop too fast for us to be able to grab the right person? Because it's, it's halfway. Some, some may say, and, and this is what I hope we get into is you can, you can take a person. Does it matter? I, I give you this person, regardless of what their character strengths are or what motivates them you make them what you want them to be rather than us going and going, Hey, you know what? These are the traits that work. Let's develop some sort of assessment. Or I'm sure there's some companies out there that we'll dive into yeah. that are able to give us a heads up and go, okay, this person may not be an EMT yet. We're going to go ahead and scrap the EMT, but we're going to make sure that the, the hundred that we do hire fit within this realm so that they are coachable they are teachable well that's what that's what the army did because they have what three million and i'm just guessing i could be wrong they have three million the u.s uh department of defense has what three or four million people Mm -hmm. that they employ they're the largest employer in the world and what they decided to do was because they need they can't be selective right they need bodies and so what they figured out was it doesn't matter what you're strengths are, we're going to help you optimize those strengths so that you're efficient, happy, engaged, motivated, you know, you'll have confidence because you're competent. Like that's kind of the neat thing about learning how to use that. Instead, what we run, we run our academies and we're not exclusive. We're like every other fire department that runs academies. We run it to how we were paramilitary. We base everything off of an old military tradition and that's not the way they communicate to people today, right? Yeah. That's not, it's, it's not working. They're like, I don't get these young firefighters. It's like, well, they speak a different language. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we have to speak, we have to start speaking that language. And we're not getting bad people. We're just getting people that don't speak the same language as people who are 20 or 30 years older than them. Yeah. So it's just kind of a, it's a, it's just a different perspective on how to manage. And, and obviously I don't know how, we talked about this yesterday. Like when I call, if I have to call nine one one, my expectation is that Superman comes through my door, right? Like I don't, I, it drives me crazy. I don't want, I don't want some, some standard firefighter. You yeah. know what I mean? I want somebody who's educated and can physically capable to do the job and is motivated and engaged and happy to be there. Which is not only what we should do. It's what we signed up and sworn I, in to do. We swore an oath to do that. 
So mm. that's where. So uh, tools for recruitment. <laughs> yeah. Um, PT evaluations, um, academy do's and don'ts, uh, and what we've experienced, um, our personal experience in dealing with uh, the 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 battle on three fronts, as we've called it, um, dealing with uh, the union, which we were both we're still union members, uh, part of the executive board there for a little bit, um, dealing with administration, what their concerns are, um, and then also believe it or not, floor personnel, which caught me off guard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which uh, I and and maybe some of you out there um, that are listening or um, watching this on YouTube, um, please share your experiences with us. Um, comments, uh, write us, email us, because um, it is it is interesting and and the the purpose of all of this um, and its very very fundamental existence is to disseminate information. Yeah. I think oh, yeah. once we can just share that, you're. You're not alone, and I think we felt that a lot at the conference in San Antonio at the time. I mean that we were we were there was others. Yes, yeah. That it was that feeling of like we thought it was you know people will either go you know our our unions holding us back or admins holding us back or you know our and and it really is a a a battle on three fronts where you're having. There's skepticism from one position or two positions in admin, and there's somebody on the floor that's going, "Hey, I don't, I don't care about those weights. I, I want that rower right now." Yeah. And you're like, "Wait, well, we got a, we got I mean, a bunch of stuff going on I, here." I mean, it, you're you're looking at it's either it's either financial, it's policy, or then it's expectation, right? And that's yeah. like admin is worried about costs for the most part, mm -hmm. right? And implementation, and then the Union's worried about policy, and it's just going to cost somebody their job. And then there's, and, and I don't think there's a lot, but there's a lot of there's some floor personnel who now are going to be held to a standard or expectation who don't want that. They're comfortable, and that's what we talked about earlier. Is everybody wants to be comfortable, and then when you're challenged, uh, that's when you have resistance. Which is funny because our job's not very comfortable, right? Yeah. There's not a lot of times where you go to some new scene. And there's, you're not looking around. You know what I mean? Like we have a very uncomfortable dynamic job. And for us to be individuals who are just comfortable in general is weird to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and I think it is the, uh, maybe, maybe it is within the four walls that it, when the tones go off, I, I don't know what it is. And I have to constantly be in that state. So I know if I'm within this building, I'm going to can try to control everything I can. And then it doesn't, it, it like going what you were saying, whether financial or in policy and looking at it from that perspective, a lot of what we do outside the walls, even though it is uncontrolled and the unknown a lot of it has a lot of structure to it. Oh yeah. So there's, I mean, we were joking the other day in the state, like we have, I have motion sensors in the Bay. Like I cannot decide if I want the lights off in the Bay, I have to jump around. Yeah. And and if I, if I want the lights to go off, I gotta be real still for a while. <laughs> so it's like when you lose control of everything else, my comfort zone may have now shrunk to just my dorm. Well, that's why I think we have a lot of structure is because we go to chaos, right? Like, yeah. 
And that's, that's kind of one of the funny things about firefighting, if you think about it, is 1% of the time at work, we're doing what we signed up for. The other 99% of the time, what are we doing? Like looking for some sort of structure, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? But when we, when we respond to a fire, we have a very structured way to establish command. We have very structured assignments, even though they're dynamic and they change. We have a structured way of doing things. But what do you do at 3 in the afternoon on a Tuesday? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, we keep busy, we train, yeah. we do whatever, but there's no structure to it. Like after you get hired and off probation, do you have a career path mapped out for you? Because the army does, wildland does, police do for the most part. Yeah. Like what do what do you do after your probation? Well, yeah, you don't yeah. know. You're like you, It depends on those leaders that are around 100%. you. 100%. That like was we got really lucky. We sure did. And ironically, we were in the same building. We were. <laughs> So it was, uh, and not the same captain, by the way. It was yeah. uh, two separate captains that we had worked for, and and uh, from just talking to you, and yeah. now chief, um, yeah, sat down and helped me map out a career path, right? Yeah. And uh, and even still, what do you do? How do you how do you go about that? You find somebody that you're close with, and you're like, hey, what did you do? Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's you pick. And it sucks because not everybody has access to somebody who tested yeah. well. Well, that's what I, mean? I was going to say. What happens is, is that now you hit the roving trail. Yeah. You, you realize a year or two in, or maybe later, that you go, oh, I'm, I'm, I have to figure this out. I, I need to whether it's my F endorsement or need to, you know, I'm going to teach it in cat. I don't even know where to go. So then you call that one captain that you happen to be roved in with that one cycle that reached out. So that shouldn't be, yes, the captain is a very, if not the most important position within the organization. For sure. But if it was built into the organization and you created an ecosystem for individuals <laughs> to thrive and develop, I think we, I think we are onto something here. Yeah. But, um, and lastly on that, um, the own your process. Right. Um, that is, if we've learned anything throughout our research, communicating with other individuals, uh, whether it be fire departments, uh, companies that provide service, um, you have to own this process. It is not something you can outsource. It is not something that you could put out a job application for, hire someone, check a box, and move on about your day. It is something that must be developed um, constantly um i, I want to say be able to to have your attention whether it be weekly at a minimum monthly to whether or not you're addressing not only the reactive side of managing the people and developing them but being able to be proactive and looking to see what technologies out there for preventive preventative measures sorry and, and development and and ownership uh ownership gets you engagement right like if we outsourced it we could just we could just complain about it as something right but if we own a process like we own we own our own shop our logistics our training our suppression services our communications department we own all these different divisions within the fire department uh this is a, a and we're not exclusive again like this is a from Miami to Seattle, right? There's departments that are struggling to, are actually coming around, but to learn that 
this kind of comprehensive health and wellness model is essential, right? And that's which, which is ironic to me because if you look and you look at NFPA, which is one of our guiding documents, and, and you have an HSO that's outlined in 1521, I believe, and then um, 82 and 83. 83 specifically outlines what a health and wellness coordinator should look like, right? To a T. Right. And then your physicals as far as 1582. And we're going to go over all this stuff more in detail next episode, in episode two. Um, it, it's written down. Yeah. It's it's not a it's not a shock. I, I could see when we when you get into the force plates, which we'll talk about with Vald and and the sleep tracking with aura rings and and adding technology into the world of firefighting that's been used or currently being adopted into the professional athlete world. I can see the skepticism there, but your own documentation supports it. And I think that we're partial to this obviously, because we saw how this comprehensive sports medicine model works, right? Yeah. Like, uh, m- most, I think I would venture to say that, uh, a collegiate comp, a collegiate sports medicine model is even more in depth in an overall health and wellness than a professional because they provide, uh, additional resources in like tutors, right? Yeah. You have mandatory study hall, you know, and they, you have a facility that like when I'd wake up in the morning, I would rush over to the facility, work out, eat breakfast, go to class. When you say the morning, 6 a.m., right? Yeah, okay. Whatever, yeah, whatever time. Course. Just so everybody, yeah. everybody doesn't know. There's you know? no, it's early. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's early for a, an 18-year-old kid to wake up. Uh, go to class, come back, eat lunch, uh, do PT, watch film, practice, uh, eat supper, go to study hall, go home. Like that was my life, right? Yeah. And they figured out that hey, if we if we control uh, wh- where this individual is for a good part of their day, we know we can get training, we can get strength training in, we can get physical therapy, we can get now. And I'm I don't know if we had mental health stuff when I was there. I think that was maybe before the kick, but I know they have it now. I know there's mental behavioral health, sports psychologists for them to meet with. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're going to study not only football, which is the reason they're there, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But they're gonna you're gonna make sure their grades are up. They're gonna have study hall and they're gonna have practice, right? And uh, special operators saw that and they're like, "Wow, we've got a lot of 18 to 22 year olds also." So special operators are like, "Hey, we should probably copy this comprehensive sports medicine model because what a great way to make sure that." all these services that we have are provided to our people and then we're going to get into it, but there's departments in the country that have like, wow, we could own that too. And, and the return on investment in that is, is there like, that's the, that's the the crazy thing is like that little bit of upfront cash pays off huge on the back end. It's massive. It's massive. And I I think it's just as from those individuals that we will talk about and hopefully we can get them on and interview them. Um, Bob Stratman out of West Metro, uh, Chief Tolliver out of Phoenix. Uh, there's a few of them that had previous experience with professional sports teams, landed in the uh, fire service, and they they literally just let them run with it. And they've developed Trey out of South Metro. Trey, um, there's they've just developed these amazing programs, and each of them independently are on their own machine. They're it's they're not identical at no, all. No, South Metro has the staff out of 
out of I mean, you would anybody would want that staff for of sure. Eight or nine people, and you got coordinators and navigators and physical therapists and sports trainers and oh, yeah. and then you got Stratman who's in West Metro who's one man show one man show <laughs> killing it and you're like so it's not a it isn't a a one shoe fits all it's just decide to own it change your perspective and move from there yeah um and, and uh, the next thing was speaking of the subject matter experts that we were going to uh that we were going to have on um so we'll move quickly we'll end each episode with our uh, clip of the week um, the clip of the week is going to be information or just uh, some sort of whether it be speech or TED Talk or something for us to give our opinion on and reflect on outside of the fire service and how it relates to the fire service. So it's not important that you become a good fighter in this world. And it's not important that you become a good spiritual guide in this world. It's important that you find a way to live a pleasant life and in the best case, support other people that they also find the same. This is what it's about. No matter in which form you put it and which from cultural background you put it. The main idea is, if you don't find this, way of reducing the suffering of your surrounding. Your suffering won't stop. I've watched that probably 50 times. Yeah. And every time it still kind of is one of those, it, it makes you think. Oh, uh, yeah. What's it make you think of initially? Um... So, like, it, it really is kind of, in my opinion, uh, like what the model of servant leadership is, right? So, like, the model of servant leadership is, one, you can't, you can't pour a shot from an empty bottle, right? So you have to know who you are. You have to do self-reflection, self-awareness. You have to be authentic in who you are. And then the goal of a servant leader is to provide the ultimate best environment for development and growth and well-being of the people that you serve, right? And that, that to me is like when I think of great leaders that I have, that was what they did. Like their work and, and <clears throat> becoming a captain, uh, you have to realize, and relating to the fire service, becoming a captain, you're no longer the hero. You're no longer pulling the person, putting the fire out, cutting the hole, popping the door. What you do is you take the little bit of authority that the department's given you and you invest it into your folks and provide the greatest environment for them to thrive, right? And that's kind of what I get from that. That and like the little first line, it's reminds me of an old saying. It's like it doesn't matter if you win. It matters if you fight, right? And I kind of dig that a lot. That's kind of that's that drive and that motivation that comes from inside. So that's what I think of. <sighs> What about you? I, I'm not following that. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Um, oh, my goodness. I was thinking so much more on a simplistic view of uh, reducing everyone else's suffering. Um, and just when I hear suffering, there's a 
not just in the fire, just in general, just humanity, that, that, um, the sense of ownership that is lacking from a lot of people. Oh yeah. Um, and, and even me, sometimes I'll, I'll own it. There, there's sometimes where you reflect on something and you're like, I didn't do what was best there for everybody. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's a, a sense, and I don't know, um, just relating back to the fire service, sorry, my thoughts are a little scrambled, but I don't know if it's just us in the Valley because we're growing so much now. Um, but there's this divide where we have a lot of people 19, 20 years on and above. And then there's this like seven year gap, eight year gap. And then there's a lot more people underneath. And one would even say we're probably 50, 50. Oh yeah. Somewhere around there. Um, and it seems like the little things it's it, the, the well-being, the mental well-being of the department and probably the fire service in general. I don't know. I hope you guys feedback and let us know if this is something that is uh, with everyone when you're split in half and it's not the, the couple of senior guys and the, you know, and, and scattered about and there's junior and then the middle of the road, like it seems like we're so divided that there's a lot of selfishness that is, eating us alive and we we end up caving in on each other and the suffering is is palpable where it's whether it's switch me stations whether it's i'm not getting promoted because of whatever reasons we can't hire these young guys don't want to test nobody wants to ride the box whatever it is is that there's this inward fighting that if everyone would just look to looking and providing for other one others and being that servant leader because you can lead from any seat and, and doing, okay, what what is the best decision in this instance to make to make everyone happy? And even if that means I'm unhappy, let me try to do what's best. And I feel like that's missing. And I think I think you hit it because I think a, <clears throat> I think a big reason why there is a bit of a divide is uh, our physical and mental health has tanked. And so I feel like you get into survival mode at some point, right? To where uh, I feel like we, like, there's probably, what do we say? 20% of our fire department is just fine. They're operating well. They can handle all the stresses. They're responsible, whatever. They have all the information they need. Uh, let them just keep working. There's 20% on the bottom who don't care, right? And then there's that 60% in the middle that's just lost and needs some direction. And I feel like when your physical health is deteriorating and your mental health is non-existent, that you can rationalize and justify any action, right? And that's kind of that, it, you you said, I'm going to own it. I, I didn't make the best decisions for others sometimes. Some people are hurting so bad that they don't self-reflect about operations and then they're just trying to get to another day. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that's kind of where like this comes into place because if you... If you can eliminate physical pain and hardships, the mental stuff becomes easier and vice versa. If you can eliminate some mental block that you have, the physical stuff gets easier, right? Yeah. And it's funny how the fastest route to improve your mental health is physical exercise, right? It's funny how that works. Funny, how, that, funny how those two things are linked, right? <laughs> yeah. So I think that we're in such a, a, a terrible 
physical mental state that people justify any action, you know, and they can just, they can just get away with it. And, and there's, we have, we have a dichotomy in the department too. We've got two different pension plans, essentially, you know, there's guys that have, and gals that have different, uh, benefits that others don't, mm-hmm. you know, and it seems like the newer guys keep and girls keep getting stuff eliminated, you know, keep getting benefits eliminated. And then what's the purpose? You know what I mean? Like when they look at it, they feel shortchanged, but the senior guys are like, well, this is what I did when I was in those shoes. Yeah. And so yeah. you're like, I mean, like it's a different, yeah. it's a different set of shoes at this point. Oh yeah. You know the, what the, I mean? like, we, the services provided are different. There's, We've doubled in well, the, size. The, We've got yeah. yeah, and so your benefits are different. There's, there's guys that are leaving right now that are going to make more in retirement than these young guys are going to. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Young, yeah. young. I keep saying guys. I mean, the young firefighters. Like, uh, they're so like you're looking at it like they're like, why would I? Why should I help you out? Yeah, you know what I mean. You're, yeah. And then they're like, "Why aren't you helping me out?" Oh God! And, and, and it being and me being a legacy kid, it's like, "Are you, yeah. are you crazy? Like, can you imagine if we put your dad on a?" And you're like, "That I just, again, is is reducing the suffering for all for sure." And and if you can really look at it from a standpoint of what is best for everyone, right. and and that's that's something that's going to be hard to change. And hopefully, with what we've started. Um, and the information we're able to get out, I, I hope that there, and that we can help. If, if this helps one person or one crew or one department, my job is done. Yeah, I I, I just truly think that there is just that missing piece because it's not it's not a gap like those of us that are that are stuck in the education and, and I would I mean addicted to growth kind of where For you sure. just maintain it's a love of learning. Yeah, that's what right. it is. So, but it does seem like there is an aha moment, and and I hope that's what we're able to generate for sure. Um, so, with that being said, that is forty eight minutes already. Man, uh, we said we were going to do thirty to forty five. We'll cut um, three minutes out. Well, yeah, we'll edit somewhere <laughs> in there. Um, but thank you all for tuning in. Um, until next time, appreciate you. Bye.